0: Today's reading is Genesis 17 verses 1 through 22. It can be found on page 15 of the Bibles next to your seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, You are no longer to call her her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. Whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year and when he had finished speaking with Abraham God went up from him the word of the Lord
1: I invite you to pray with me as we begin our great God we come to you and you are gracious to us and that's why we come I'm not necessarily afraid of your power or your might but hopeful optimistic and longing for a grace that we've maybe heard about. And uh, we're at some stages in, in some point in the stages of believing in that grace. And we come from all different kinds of places, and so the prayer as we begin listening to this passage, the prayer is that you would join us and meet us through these words. That what we talk about as your Holy Spirit would engender a sort of meaning and create a sort of connection with you between your words and our lives in this time. And that even though we might come as a mess, and more of a mess than we want the people around us to know, that you love us and meet us with grace so that we, are, we, we can come to the point of knowing that in Christ we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. Meet us now with that grace, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, let me start by talking about something that I did uh, a couple years ago. I started by, um, I, w- I wanted to build a bike shed. And so I uh, this is a backyard building project. And I got, a pl- got plans from a book at the library. And I have experience working with building crews and framing crews, kind of the jobs I had as I was in seminary in Michigan. Um, and so I got these plans and I started and I bought enough lumber to get kind of the first a uh, bit of it going. I imagined I would get this thing done. My plan was to get it done in, like, about maybe two or three weekends, you know, maybe spread out over a couple of months. And I got going on it, this thing ended up taking me, like, almost uh, almost two years to, <laughs> to finally come to a closing point, and that's only because of the help of my father-in-law who visited, and he's a builder. Um... I, I got going pretty good on it. I enjoyed it and loved it. And in the midst of starting this thing, I just thought I was the best builder ever. I mean, I, I just—I yeah, was doing really well. I make a mistake here or there. I really—I mean, I really had this idea, like, hey, I've seen people do this. I've done a, a few of these tasks myself, even, but mostly a lot of it's just I've, I've watched people do this, and they would say, "Mark, go get those boards over there." No, 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 the long ones. I mean, that was my role. But I thought, you know, I'm pretty good. I've seen people do this. And so I got to this point where, and I didn't even realize right away, where I built the third of the three walls that I had to build. And um, I didn't realize till after it was all put together. But when you build a wall, there's a point of laying it out, and I was doing it on the ground. And you have a top plate and a bottom plate, and they have marks on them where the boards like this go, what we call the studs, right? And um, one of those boards I had flipped around this way so that... <laughs> And I, didn't, I did not notice this. this, this is how I'm not an expert builder, is I did not notice until the wall was all tacked completely in place and nailed in place um, quite permanently. And I stood back after it was all done and looked at it, and instead of the walls being like this, the studs, it was like, about like that. <laughs> and I just kind of said, that's how that wall is. <laughs> um, and... Uh, and so my father-in-law came out and finished it up, and I would lo- my goal was uh, really to be able to look back and say, I built this shed. I mean, that's what I kind of thought I was going to have at the end of this, and in the end, I just, I started a shed, and I got kind of rescued by a better builder. Today we're talking about um, Abraham, and in this passage, we see God entering into this relationship with Abraham. It's God making a relationship connection that has started there's some some stories that have already happened but we're right in the middle of how God is building constructing the relationship the connection and the relationship between God and humans as we've like come up to this point has been pretty abysmal as the people in general kind of want to go a different way and don't want to pursue and build and construct this relationship so God's beginning to lay out the the plans of this relationship and how's it gonna, how it's going to go. And what we essentially see through this is that God is this expert relationship builder who comes in and here is just laying out some big, important pieces that will be foundational to how this relationship is built. It's a big relationship. It, it, it's a relationship that as you're reading this, you're opening up doors that are going to be, um, we're going to finally realize what they all mean as We have uh, Isaac and then we have Jacob and then we have the 12 tribes of Jacob and then all all these stories and all these times and all these kings and then these prophets and then eventually one who was born from this line of all these descendants and offspring of Abraham that Christians pin all their hopes for a relationship with God. So that's all being started here, constructed here. Um, pieces of that grand story of that grand relationship that for some reason you're here today to explore to connect with or to grow in understanding now here's what we don't want to necessarily we don't want to I have three points so no surprise there but um, but each one of these is something that you and I would prefer that we were the builders on that we could claim in this relationship with God we all want to provide the name for ourselves, We all want to decide what the signs are. We all want to go with our plan. So let's look at these. That's, those are all things that God is constructing and laying out. And you need all of these to have a thriving spiritual relationship with God. Let's look at them. Let's look at what we learn about them. First of all, the name. God provides the name. What's significant about God doing the naming in this story? <clears throat> I learned this week about... Uh, a football player named Chad Johnson. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Chad Johnson? I'm not a football, this is new to me, I'm not a football fan. Chad Johnson is someone who um, his number was 85 and he changed his name to Cinco. Chad Cinco. I didn't know this, this is fascinating to me. And then apparently how that story goes, um, this is a few years old, but how that story ends up is that he changed his name back to, to Johnson when he's uh, about to get married, and um, his fiance didn't, didn't want to go with Ocho Cinco, I guess is how that <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Ocho Cinco, you know, eight five, it was his jersey. Um, and then we have another sports-related person, Ron Artest. He was a Sacramento King at one point, Go Kings. And Ron Artest, you know, his story is he's the guy who changed his name to, and still his name, Meta World Peace. Um yeah, that's the reaction I had the first time I saw, or heard people saying that name. What? That's a person. Meta World Peace, and this—you know—this is the guy that is probably the only person I've ever heard of of going up into the stands and fighting with a fan at an NBA baseball game. You know, and his last name's now World Peace. So, you know, there's all these stories. You know, Snoop Dogg. I don't know if you caught it, but he's Snoop Lion now. I don't know if you caught this. And, you know, so Snoop Dogg, he's got all these handles. When I'm a rapper, he says, I'm Snoop Dogg. When I'm a DJ, I'm DJ Snoopadelic. No, no one's... And now he's, you know, when he does reggae, he's Snoop Lion. So he had a bit of a Rastafarian um, conversion on that one. And all of this, you know, we can get a good laugh. There's also plenty of laughter going on here in the um, Abraham name change. Did you catch how God just comes in and says, now part of this relationship is I will tell you who you are. I will give you your name, and you can just imagine how this goes with Ab- Abram. You can imagine him telling his the other parts of his community and his his relatives about and his servants and so forth. Oh, you you met with that God again? That, that God talked to you, Abram? Oh yeah. What, is that the same God that talked to you uh, about twenty five years ago and made you leave your homeland and? Said he was going to give you this great big promised land. That God? Oh, tell us what he said, Abram. This should be good. Oh, What? He said he's going to he changed your name? Oh! What, uh, what Abraham, you who, who haven't been able to have children with your wife, tell us what name he gave you? Um, super Daddy. What? What? What do you say? What name is he giving you? Super Daddy. Um, yeah. I mean, that's basically what Abraham means. The first one is kind of like daddy or dad or father, exalted father. And this new one is like, you know, uh, like father of many. It's like super daddy. And that, you could just imagine the humor. Oh, great. Yeah, super daddy. Sure. We'll see how this goes. Uh, 100-year-old Abraham. Um, the humor's there, but of course, there's a bigger thing at work as well. Because I think the first lesson of Abraham is that if you want a thriving spiritual relationship, you've got to let God tell you, who you are and there's actually um we tend to go the other way around we not only want to we not only want to decide who we are and pick this name or that name or the other now i'm this we not only want to do that we also want to name we also want to go completely the other way and name god and decide who is god who do you think is god whatever whatever you think whatever you want to name him and so, of course, naming in the Bible is this incredibly interesting thing. And there's a lot more going on here than just Abram to Abraham, you know, daddy to super daddy. It's, um, if you, anybody happened to be reading the books of First and Second Kings or Chronicles, that's what I thought. Um, but in the book, towards the end of the book of 2 Kings, um, you do have these interesting, a similar parallel, actually. I think it's in chapter uh, 23 of Second um, Kings where... Um, Nico, king of Egypt, pharaoh of Egypt, renames the king, and the difference is so subtle. It's very similar to this Abram-Abraham thing. The difference is almost inconsequential, uh, whatever that word is. The difference is small, but uh, that's not the point. The point is there's a bigger who who's saying to that person who you are. There's a, that identity is now wrapped up in a bigger one, a bigger who. That's now where that king gets his identity. It's these old, uh, in the language of scholars, it's the old suzerain-vassal relationships in the ancient Near East. But it applies to all of our lives. Do you have? Are you looking to a bigger who to tell you who you are, or do you are you doing what most of us do? Most of us try to answer the who question with the what question. What do you do? Right. Who are you? What do you do? That's kind of how our conversations go, right? Okay, what's your name? My name's Mark. What do you do? Who are you? Do you, are, you trying to na- are you trying to fill that definition and that identity with what? With what you do. I mean, you can go back to this old cheesy line, right? After all, we're not human doings. Yeah, Pretty good, huh? You heard that old chestnut? We're not human doings, we're human beings, right? You can't answer the who with the what. And this is um, this book uh, by Jean Bethke Kielsten. She wrote this book called Who Are We? Critical Reflections and Hopeful Possibilities. She says this, who then are we? We plunge into self-aggrandizement, convinced that the dazzling success of our projects will prove definitively who we are. But this fails to satisfy. Our triumphs ring hollow. Our victories so often turn to ashes in our mouths. But never mind, tomorrow we'll run faster. We'll climb higher. And one fine morning, who are we? We are creatures who have forgotten what it means to be faithful to something other than ourselves. you resonate with that? I love this phrase, the dazzling success of our projects. Are you trying to define who you are with your what? Well, I think a lot of us do. And the Bible, what it does is over and over again, it just simply says this to you that you are too incomplete to find who you are just by yourself alone in a room with a list of your accomplishments. You're too incomplete, you're too broken and jagged. And the only, the Bible says, the only way to finally have a satisfying answer to who you are is to link up with your jagged edges with the broken one who came from heaven to earth and became broken so that you could finally be invited to to be able to know who you are. And you'll search to link up with all different things all your life but they'll never completely tell you that and finally tell you who you are. So there's the name. We all want to name ourselves. God says, you need to look to me, a bigger who, to tell you who you are. But there's also the sign. The sign. Can I just sort of cut right to the point of what um, I think at least your friends, maybe some of you, at least your friends would basically say this in answer to this story. This would be the glaring thing that would stand out. They would say, how is it that God, in establishing a relationship with humans, needs to include, finds it absolutely necessary to include infant genital mutilation? Mutilation, sorry. Mutation. That was a blunder. Infant genital mutilation. How is it, is it it really necessary? Where does that take us? And for for some people, that's like such a showstopper, such an archaic end of the conversation kind of a thing to have in the story. Really? That's essentially what Abraham is asked to enter into. Sure, at this particular point, it's adults as well, people who could maybe say, see ya, I'm out of here, I'm running into the desert to avoid this one, right? See, there's this whole other humor to the story other than just Abraham's name. Um, but there's also just essentially it, it's this people is now are now um, conscripted to be a part of this every baby every baby well the boys at least so you know that actually seems like the biggest showstopper I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest that's not the biggest because I could go through all the cultural layers of what this means and why eventually as the Christian Church comes and it's Jewish jewish christians and they kind of let the circumcision go in importance i'm going to say it's not the biggest showstopper in this passage the biggest one is that there's only one sign only one sign so you're going to have some kind of relationship with god you guys all get basically all of you get this one sign this one thing and everybody's is the same and in the new testament church it's actually the same the parallel is baptism and sure you know, for two thousand years, we've all had the same sign, and thankfully, there are some advances. If I can get the word right, the mutilation is behind us, and women are included, and it's water; it's a lot more inviting. But I think the same issue is there: one sign, and what do we like to do? We say, "Well, I pick my; I'll, I'll pick the signs that tell me whether I have a good relationship with God. Let me choose." God says, "I will give you the sign. I will give you the thing that will almost like a." A third thing, you have yourself as a people, and you have God, and then you have this other thing that will track with you throughout your life and bounce the meaning of your relationship with God off of, and he will work through, and you will approach Him through it. This other thing, you don't get a picket. It's all the same, and we say, "No, I want to choose. What do we do? We go with let's say, sometimes it just comes down to a number. you know What's, what sign are you paying attention to to say that you're okay that? Life will be okay. Maybe it's the number of friends. Maybe it's the number on a scale in the morning, right? The number on your paycheck. The number on your kid's SAT score. Um, It could be the number of miles you can tell your friends that you ran this weekend, right? Or the number of uh, compliments that you get in a week or a day. All of it. You know, there's just signs we grab hold of and we say, if that's at work, I'm okay. That's the sign I'm going to look to over and over in life for my identity, for whether or not it's going to be okay. And so you either get inflated or you get deflated about a sign that in the end, let's just be honest, we end up in this place where we think that this self-generated, really kind of self-absorbed thing is finally going to tell us, is finally going to inflate us enough and tell us that we're okay. <clears throat> well, what is the sign? What is the, co- I mean, this is about a covenant. That's a word for relationship, buzzword, covenant. You know, you kind of fit in the word relationship. So God's setting up the relationship. He's setting up a sign for the relationship. And then in the New Testament, we have the same thing. We have these covenant, the covenant sign of baptism. There's a very interesting passage that gives us, gets us to where we need to go with all of this. It's in Colossians, verse chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul's writing and he says, in Christ, just listen to how he weaves together circumcision, baptism, and new identity, new life, how it all kind of works together. In Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your sinful nature was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. you know that <laughs> you were circumcised by Christ? Just a shocking analogy to put over our lives and our faith journey. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Basically, this taps into what is the new thread in the New Testament. After Jesus' death and resurrection, where Christians start to say, I have been marked. God has reached down into this relationship with us and given new life. New life. That's what all this is pointing to. New life. God's, basically, the neon flashing strobe lights in the Christian's, Christians life come from the, the water of baptism is up here. This, this idea of this water of baptism that just shouts at us through God's actions on the cross. Did you catch the interweaving of Christ's death and Christ's resurrection? Christ's actions, those get overlaid on your journey and become the source somehow of your new life. And that's the sign we keep looking back to. So the Christian looks at baptism and says, okay, we have this one shared sign for all that says, I'm okay if God through Christ makes me okay. I'm okay if God through Christ makes me okay. And Jesus says to go out into all the world and baptize everyone. He doesn't say, you know, we would say, go out to all the world and let each of these people groups from different cultural backgrounds make their own decision about how they're going to define the signs of this relationship. Jesus says go out to all the world and use the same sign, baptizing. And with baptism, God wants to put something in your life that as you grow as a Christian, you can literally—it's literally it's literally possible that these other signs that you have set up that say you're okay they actually lose their ability to deflate you. And you lose the desire to be inflated through these other signs that you've been looking to to know you're okay. It's actually possible that what some call your baptismal identity as a Christian, which really just ties you all to the actions of Christ, that the actions of Christ replace those other things that you look to. That's what can happen through the sign. And uh, I find it interesting that Paul says, right at the close of his letter to the Galatians, he, says, he just confirms this when he says, um, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. <clears throat> so, also the plan. Now, how many of you, show of hands, if you're brave, who's had things or a thing not go according to your plan at some point? Right, and like how many of you are lying, right, with your hand in your lap? Just kidding. <laughs> I'm not calling you a liar. So you know what Abraham's plan was? Abraham's plan was Ishmael. Ishmael, that, you know, through a servant woman, he could start this line. He's very skeptical of God's ability to um, provide this all these promises of descendants and this whole plan through Sarah or Sarai. So Ishmael was the only conceivable way Abram could imagine God blessing him, and I get the sense in this is uh, in this interaction that I picture you know he's on his knees. The story tells us, and I I picture Abraham kind of with his hands uh, over his face when it gets to the part about. Sarah, Sarah being changed to Sarah, Sarah being changed to Sarah, and she's going to have a baby, and it's going to be through her. And then he kind of jumps in and says, if only Ishmael. I interpret that, that he got kind of red in the face, almost embarrassed for God's naivete. You know, kind of that inner chuckle, like, oh my goodness, you're still on that whole thing that it's going to happen through Sarah. God. But think about it. Have you ever, in a sense, have you ever been, Accuse God of being naive about how the plans of your life have been going. Have you ever ever had that sense of like, God, do you you even know what it's like? Do you even know what I'm going through? A lot of times we think God is naive, like he's missing something, like he's not seeing what really he needs to see in order to run our life. We see it. God doesn't. Well, just to give you a, just kind of move towards the end here. Just think about this. If Abraham gets his way with the Ishmael plan, and he doesn't, but if he did, there'd be no Jesus. There'd be no Jesus. The plan God was constructing, remember how I kind of painted it all, kind of leads towards eventually the, the other child who was born out of even more laughable circumstances, not from a barren woman, but from a sexually inactive woman. Even more laughable, but that was God's plan. It wouldn't have happened if Abraham got his way. It gives you pause. It makes you stop and think about yourself. Um, Evelyn Underhill writes this book called The Spiritual Life. She says, Our spiritual life is his affair because whatever we may think to the contrary, it is really produced by his steady attraction and our humble and self-forgetful response to it. It consists of being drawn at his pace and in his way to the place where he wants us to be, not the place we fancied for ourselves. Think about what's the plan that runs the engine of your emotional life. What is it? You've got something. And there's a chance that if you stop and you look at it, you go, that has, I might pave it, I might paint it with spiritual language, but in truth it has nothing to do with God. It's just my plan. It's just what I'm fancying for myself. And if so, join the company of Abram. You're in good company, and God can use it. And Abraham would probably tell you, save yourself a lot of heartache and make the realization that that plan has nothing to do with God. Make that realization earlier rather than later before it blows up in your face. God seems to think in all of this that he can construct sufficiently a relationship with you. So the question is, will you let him? Will you let him tell you who you are? Will you let him... Define the signs. Will you let his plan take over? Let's pray. God, we look to your grace to open up our hearts and our lives to, um, to your leading, which is essentially what we've just heard about. Would you help us? Help us in all the hundreds of ways in this room that we need to, um, we need to be softened, perhaps, and readied in order to let you lead. And as we come to you really with demands, relationship demands that, that makes up a lot of our prayer life, will you be ever so patient with us like you were with Abram and still lead us uh, to the life where, we're, where we know who we are and we're satisfied because we also know you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.